Dev Divers, we are super excited to introduce someone special to you today. Susan Childs is author of Common Nonsense, which is a phenomenal book about emotional intelligence, and she has joined us today to talk to you about it. She is also a longtime speaker for many associations, including MGMA, and Kim and I are huge fans of her. So Susan, thank you so much for joining the show today. Yay, thank you, thank you. I'm flattered that you even asked me, and we're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> We've already been no. having fun. I'm sorry, <laughs> Rev Divers, but most of that was not in the recording. <laughs> So here's some things you do get to know as a listener. And we've started asking this question, Susan, and we've gotten some pretty interesting responses so far. So we've got to ask you, if you could push one message to the inbox of every healthcare leader, just one small nugget that they could take away with them, what would you do? What would you tell them? I think that I think the most important thing is to remember your value and to remember everyone else's value. And that's what puts it all together. Because if we're cognizant of each other's value and respect each other and understand what each other does, you know, that's what makes it all come together. And that's what people, you know, that's what patient care is all about. And when patients notice that, when people all work together. And sometimes we forget, we get in our own role and our own things and we forget what the person next to us or down the hall is doing with, you know, something different. You have those back front issues, but all of you want the same thing. So it's reestablishing that goal and everybody's worth and respect for each other. And then you go from there. That's the most important thing to me. Wow. wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, you just have to sit with that for a minute. That's powerful, isn't it? Um, it? You know, it is. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's just, it's just, you know, before teamwork and the whole team thing came into effect, you know, the good managers were doing it already. You know, we're spending a lot of time with each other all day long. You want to work hard and have fun and great make it point. work. Yeah. That's a great point. We were, the good managers were doing it already. I'm sure we can count ourselves among that when we were all in that role, but it, it's so true. It's so true. And I love how you just said it. Like it was so matter of fact, but um, yeah, it flipped a couple of switches in my mind just then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, a, a front desk person walked out to me and she said, I don't feel like I'm getting anything done. And they don't because they're like the hamster in the wheel. It's, it's really frustrating for them. And they get the most grief from all sides. Nobody gets it from all sides like they do. It's really bad. And she came up to me and she was wonderful. I called her Cookie. She was wonderful. And she said, I don't feel like I'm getting anything done. And I said, when you put those demographics in correctly, the claim gets paid the first time. You get a paycheck. When you, you know, they're in charge of the patient flow because they're doing the scheduling a lot of times at the front. So when you've done that right, you're establishing the patient flow. When you're handling calls right and getting the information correctly, you know, these things are, but they don't see the end results. We have projects, but they don't see the end results unless you do check out and then you get to collect the money too, which is always fun. <laughs> you're you know, speaking our language. Exactly. <laughs> but also thinking about what you just said about, you know, the, the responsibilities of the front, the front office. I think all of our staff are dealing with considerable stressors right now. The providers, um, our employees, especially since the pandemic hit. And yeah. even before, um, I think there's a lot of fatigue. Um, and even us as managers and leaders, we're going through very similar stressors that our workforce is going through, that the front office is going through, and that our providers are going through different elements of burnout. You know, how do how do you think we as leaders can find empathetic and and really motivating ways to engage with our staff? 
And I guarantee you every manager has done 50 million things already. So I'm kind of singing to the choir. So I'm sure I'll be repeating some things, but you know, they're, they're like, I think there's six or seven stages to disaster, something like that. And the one right before resilience, when you're coming out of it is delusion. And we thought we were coming out of it and we're right back in delusion, but we now have vaccines and we know how to be safe and we are gonna be safe and we're gonna keep moving because we have to. So I think the best things you can do, take care of yourself as well. So you can take care of your staff because at first managers, you know, we're ready to take care of everybody and everything and that's our job, but we gotta take care of ourselves too. I think food, I mean, again, everybody's tried a million things. Food works a lot. If you have trouble communicating with somebody, sit down and have a cup of coffee or a cupcake or something with them, breaking bread with people, it makes them relax a little bit. Um, I also like the idea of if you can change people's schedules at all, if they can do a four day week, 10 hours a day, and they can have that extra buffer day, especially people with kids and dealing with school and everything now, if you can give them any kind of extra buffer with their scheduling, even a half a day, if they can take turns and do their jobs, it gives them a relief and it makes them feel valued and it's not permanent, but it's just until we get through this, because everybody's already working extra hard just to make sure 100% of stuff is getting done. So now if we can give it a break and make it personal, you know, like, like I said, if somebody's got three kids, maybe they can leave at 2.30 every day and work at home for two hours every night. Maybe they can trade some time. And I'm sure a lot of remote positions have already been considered becoming permanent, things like that. A lot of things have changed. Sometimes you have to be on site and there's just no ifs, ands, or buts. So maybe taking a longer lunch hour, coming in later, leaving earlier, whatever your schedule allows and have everybody cover everybody else. And it's a team effort and everybody gets a break. But those are the only things I can do. You know, you create your culture and if they know that you've got their back, that really helps too. That support, that mental support. Create your culture. You yeah. need to coin that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm the first one to say it, but actually a sportscaster said um, that your culture is created by your best player. And everyone says, isn't that interesting? Yeah, it was like a basketball team or something. And it's really true because as leaders, you set the pace, but you're not there all the time. So the culture really is set by your staff. It's up to you to be aware of it and how to keep it balanced. Like right now I'm working with this amazing practice in California and there are people that are gossiping like crazy and it's ruining the office and it has to be dealt with because or else the good people will leave. Absolutely. So yeah. Absolutely. I, I vividly remember my uh, grandmother once showing me, we were buying like bunches of apples and, and things like that. And she was showing me how, if one of them is just, you know, rotting on the outside, it will infect all of the ones around it. So all of the surrounding apples were starting to rot from the outside because of this one. And she said, this is true of everything. Um, and, and as a kid, I was like, you know, great, let's pick a different apple. Uh, but as an adult, you know, that resonates much deeper and you understand those connectivity points. Um, I think, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, thank you. I was just going to say, and the first thing you do is you pull the good apples away from the bad ones. And what happens is your good employees leave because they can find a job anywhere and yeah. you're stuck with bad employees and you have to approach it eventually anyway. Yeah. And nobody wants a pie made out of rotten apples. That's right. Right. That's right. 
That's right. Yes. So I have to tell you, Susan, you work with individuals all over the nation. You have for, for quite some time, you are truly, truly an amazing knowledge resource, especially in the area of emotional intelligence. Your book has one of the best titles out there, in my opinion, Common Nonsense. I don't know how you came up with it, but I love it. And I've got to tell you, when I see people with your book, it is worn. The edges are frayed. There are post-it notes throughout it. It is highlighted. They're holding on to it like it's a diary. Like, what is it that you think is resonating so deeply, especially with healthcare leaders about this book? You know, I, I wrote them because I saw healthcare becoming a take a number thing. And I didn't want that. And having so many relatives in healthcare and being physicians, I grew up in medicine without even realizing it, I did. And I wanna protect the really good parts. I wanna protect the compassion and the care. Technology is a beautiful thing. It enables us to do whatever we can do, but it's the emotional intelligence that lets us use the technology to the fullest, right? Like if a patient walks in the door and um, they use a tablet to make their payment, if it's not easy, the patient's not gonna do it. And it's up to us to see how easy it is for the patient to do something like that. And that's the whole thing about emotional intelligence and um, and management and being aware of your patients. This book, I also want to be a primer kind of for new managers because it's full of real life stories that can really get as to this is what you're going to run across. And if you do, these are the options of how you can handle it. Um, the other things are sometimes we need to be reminded as managers, if we've been managers for a while, we, we, it's not a matter of becoming jaded, but just experienced and not noticing as many things because you've seen it so many times. So we just kind of need to be reminded why we're here and what to protect the most, which is the patient and the physician, everything surrounds that. We are, you know, everybody can be replaced around the patient and physician. So we're here to serve that and make sure that it's the best experience ever. And, and emotional intelligence just helps that from the front desk, you know, like talking about revenue cycle, by the time the patient walks in the door, there should be no surprises about what is expected for payment. The first time when you, you know, you make the appointment, it said, okay, well, I see here you have this coverage and this is your copay. Please prepared, be prepared to pay any coinsurances or copays um, as you check in. And then when the confirmation happens, please be prepared to pay any coinsurances or copayments you may have due at the time of service. So by the time the patient walks in, and they're looking at the receptionist, it's the third time. And it should be no surprise when the receptionist says your copay is $25. How would you like to remit that? It's much more acceptable. It's much more pleasant. It's expected. And 94% of your patients expect things walking in the door. Only six do not. So if they walk in the door, I worked with a neurosurgery practice in Arizona and the patients literally were walking up to the desk, reaching for their wallets as they're smiling at the receptionist. And that I know, and I didn't do that. No did. applause all the way around. And oh that's my exactly gosh. What we want. That's exactly what we want. Yeah, a neurosurgeon, you know, their bills are hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, they go on payment plans for $30,000. And or yeah, more. They're, they're mortgages, right? Yeah. They're mortgaging their medical care. They have to be, you know. I mean, emotional intelligence and revenue cycle is everything. You know, if a patient's happy, they'll pay their bill. If they're not, they won't. So every interaction makes a difference. So when managers can look at my book and I love it when they mark things up and use it again. And I think when you mark something up and you use it as a point of reference, when you go back and look at it, it kind of affirms like, yeah, that's what I should have done. And it worked. 
or yeah, this never works. And she's just proven that, or I've proven it too, you know? Yeah. So it's good affirmation as much as learning and just enjoying. I have great quotes in there too, from like Geta Thunberg and Frank Zappa, Eleanor Roosevelt. I mean, it's, it's all over the place and they're all pertinent. Because I we're all so much rather see people with their nose in your book uh, then their nose and their phone, right? We see so many people with that are just face down, you know, into their into their smartphones. And I, I'd so much rather see them face down into a great book with a great title. Me too, but you can read a book on the phone. Let's not forget that. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Or you could listen to a podcast. Yes, you can. And I would like to take um, credit for the title, but I did not think of it. My publisher thought of it. He was really smart. I fought him on it and he won and it was really good. The next book is called um, Uncommon Sense, which is coming out this fall. And then um, it, now it all makes sense, which is a workbook that you can use. So it's the trilogy. Oh my gosh. Brilliant. That's great. That's brilliant. That's great. Oh I'm super gosh. excited about that. Those little nuggets. I didn't know that. That's exciting. Yes. I have to give him credit and he'll like that. But yes, they were good. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We're, we're, we're constantly kind of being bombarded with information and with notifications. I always have my phone beside me. I'm sure you guys do too. Um, I, I think it's, it's sometimes hard to be present in the moment. Um, and, you know, thinking about also the times that we're in now, right? The information some of it's credible, some of it isn't, you know, also just kind of trying to pick through, you know, what information, you know, you want to have. Um, mm -hmm. This isn't easy. And just thinking about that from a leadership perspective, how, how do we as healthcare leaders with the constant stream of incoming notifications, how do we train our brains to ignore the dinging of incoming messages? And, and Susan, what do you think is the benefit of us training our brains to ignore, which is very hard to do. I know, you know, I have to pause my notifications often, like if I'm in a meeting, because I really want to focus. But how do we train our brains to ignore those, those incoming messages? Whatever, I, I always say that whatever you're working on, put it in front of you, whatever you're not, put it behind you. And especially with your devices, if they need you, they'll let you know. And I think the average amount of times you look at your, um, your cell phone is 82 times a day. And I think I looked at that as like for your waking hours, it's every six minutes. And I do it. I mean, I'm, if I don't have my phone, I want to know where it is. You know, it's bad. But you have to, it's just like when someone walks into your office, you want to give it full focus. So you turn off your alerts unless you have to have something. And you, um, and you pay attention to what you have to. If you have somebody in the office, you ask not to be interrupted um, because if you're interrupted, then you're gonna be distracted and it's not gonna be good for the person that you're trying to give attention to. They will notice it as well. Um, the other things you can do is look at your times that you're having minutes of. You know, you can have a 20 minute meeting sometimes when you originally foresaw a 40 minute meeting. And even if you shave 10 minutes off of a meeting time or, and you have that extra time or you allot more time than you need. And if you have a 10 minute buffer in between then you can get some other things done. Managers, I think forecast two hours of their day and the rest comes to them. 
CEOs are very different. CEOs have a very different kind of calendar and it's just as busy, but it's very arranged and very scheduled. Managers tend to just have the fires, you know, they're putting out the fires, everything is being thrown at them, right? But if you can calendar whatever you can in, including your vacation time, meeting times, set your deadlines. I set my deadlines all two weeks ahead of time so that if something comes up, I've got it done in time, even if I'm late. And if not, I'm early and I can't stand being late. It drives me crazy to be late. So if you can build certain things in, um, delegating, if you can, Um, a lot of people want to move up and they're looking for something to do. And this is the emotional intelligence as well. When you're at a meeting, look for that person that asks the, um, the extra question, look for that person that asks a little bit more because they want to do a little more. They're a little more invested. They're hungry for something else. And you say, I hear you're great with spreadsheets. Can you help me with these reports at the end of the month? So that helps. Um, I had someone help me with accounts payable, which we know is a very touchy thing, but I very much trusted her. And I got everything ready and approved for good checks and balances. And then she just wrote the checks. And, but just that saved me so much time, electronic or not, the processing of everything just really helped me because at that time, the doctor was still signing paper checks and reviewing things that way. And we would meet and he would sign them. But if you can get somebody to help you with even 30 minutes of your day, that's good. Sometimes when managers leave a room, it takes them 20 minutes just to answer questions as they're going down the hallway because people are catching them. It used yeah. to take me 15 minutes to leave the building, right? Yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, hallway consultations. Yes, (laughs) quick decisions, that's okay. But you build it into the day. You know, you build it in. You start walking out the door 10 to five instead of five. And that's how it happens. So you kind of have to build it in. It also builds good bonds when people can do things together like that, if they're helping all together. You know, I think one of the things that you said right at, at jump is, so critical for all of us to hear, not just for work, but also for home. And that's, you know, when you are putting your phone down and you are minimizing those distractions and you are really being present and engaged in the conversation that you're having, it is going to be more effective and more productive and in fact, give you back time. That is such a powerful thing. I know I personally, and I have ADD, so I struggle with all distractions, right? But I struggle in every meeting, not to look at my phone, not to do those things. So I flip it over, right? Try to have some, you know, if it's, if I don't see it out of sight, out of mind sort of a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But at home, you know, there, there's nothing really to help put the guardrails on that. So keeping in mind, you know what, if I take a few moments and really give my full level of focus to my kids or to making dinner or to whatever task I'm in the middle of, it is going to take me less time. I think we've all seen those jokes on the internet, you know, I was going to wash the laundry, but on my way there, I realized that the living room needed to be vacuumed when I realized that my kids' shoes weren't in their closet, so I went in their room and the bed needed to be made, and suddenly you've never done the laundry, right? Um, I think that intentionality and that focus, it translates to to other areas of our lives. It's such a critical thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, so happy you mentioned that. And, you know... No, I mean, it's just like anything else. If you're trying to eat less food, you're going to write down what you eat and then you're amazed at how much you're eating. And then it's, it's easier to cut back because you see it, you know, with your, it's the same thing with your time. Um, If you're, if you're doing that and you're writing down where you're spending your time, you're going to find, 
one or two providers that tend to suck more of your time. You probably know that already, but this way, you know, you can kind of gauge it and, and protect your calendar as much as you can, as you can build things in so that, you know, you can have as much extra time as you can. Doctors shave off seconds off of their templates and we can do that too. Yeah. Not everything has so to be an hour long, you know, every meeting is an hour long, you know, huddles don't need to be more than 15 minutes, one-on-ones, 15, 20 minutes at the most general staff or something else. Yes. You need time because everyone should have a voice and you want to have the time for everyone to speak up and for everyone to feel a little relaxed to speak up. But other than that, you should be able to just get right to it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier in the conversation about uh, someone at the front desk, not really feeling like they got anything done. And we've all experienced that, right? Um, and, and it's challenging. Kim and I are the first to say that's the hardest position in the building. Yes. It is so challenging. And I remember working for a practice in Maryland and I was speaking to the front desk about this very thing. And I said, I want you to take two pen cups, one empty and one full. And every time you take a phone call, I want you to move a pen over. And every time you check in a patient, I want you to move a pen over. And every time, you know, you're entering a new patient into the registry, I want you to move a pen over. And I want you to start to see how full that cup is by the end of the day, because you are truly getting a lot done. You're just not seeing it because you're in the middle of doing it. It is so, so challenging to recognize our own accomplishments, especially in something that busy. So you've really, really given us some, some good and all of our, our listeners and some great things to, to look at and think about inside the workplace and outside. I think filling the cup, what a great thing to say. And then at the end of the day, they look at it and they go, man, we really filled the cup today. <laughs> yeah. You're proud Either of it. that or they go, okay, none of you can borrow my pens. I'm trying to fill this cup. <laughs> it's very true. I used to, you know, if they had to deal with a difficult patient and I worked the front desk and you guys probably have too. I mean, I know yep. we know what it's like. And if they had to deal with a difficult patient or had a really hard day, I would put, I would give them gold stars and they would put them on their, on their ID tags. And after I'd run out of the gold, I'd have the blue and the silver left. And they go, what? Go, we don't have any gold left. It's not good enough. You know, and yeah. they, so, <laughs> so I had all gold stars, but anything to show they're appreciated really, yeah. really helps. And yeah, it's a busy day. Um, certain, certainly certain specialties are busier than others for managers, but everyone has their hands full, especially now. And everyone's pitching in. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I've had some discussions lately um, with a lot of practices that feel that uptick in patient frustration. They're having those hostile individuals come in and present at their front desk. I've done a lot more discussions and education and consulting around de-escalating patients lately than I think I have in, in years. I don't know, Kim, if you're seeing that uptick. I don't know if it's related yep. to the pandemic and that level of uncertainty that seems to just be prolonged at this point, you know, that there's so much turbulence, whether it's legislatively or with work or housing or whatever, it's, there's so much pressure on everyone. And we're seeing a lot of it come out at the front desk. And so we have these individuals who are already sort of either on the edge of burnout, right, or well past it. And they're working this front desk, and they do not always know how to de-escalate patients. And I think this is particularly true for revenue cycle staff when they're attempting to collect patient um, responsibilities, right? They're, they're reaching out to patients on the phone, and they're trying to do collections. Yeah. Do you have any tips for de-escalation methods that perhaps our listeners could take away and use in their own organization? Yeah, the, I mean, it, everyone knows everyone knows the standards, and and you're right, it is getting much worse, 
And the pandemic has made it much worse. And a lot of people have lost their coverage and that makes it much worse. And people don't, people are very wary of the future. I think as people feel more secure, they will feel better about it. So the main thing to do is make the patient feel as secure and have as much ahead of notice possible of, of what they're actually going to be owing. Um, again, um, when they walk in the door, they'll, they're either, they're mad about two things, either the money or the care, right? So either they haven't been called back or the doctor only spent five minutes looking in their ear and they're mad because why, you know, why did they charge me this much for just looking in my ear? And I would have to explain when, you know, they're looking at everything, they're looking at the way you walk, they're looking at everything, but you know, it's taking the time to explain it to the patient, giving the patient privacy. Everyone knows rule number one, if somebody starts getting really irate or belligerent, um, give them privacy, do not have them be in the lobby because they love an audience and patients have a right to speak up but nobody has a right to be disrespectful. And I love my job, but I'm not gonna put up with somebody screaming at me. It's not appropriate. So that's when it either goes to the billing department or the manager to speak with them. Um, meanwhile, the, the front desk can say there are a lot of really good customer service phrases um, that are very positive, that can really, really help. Um, things like, I'm trying to help you, usually stops them. Um, let me repeat this back to you because I wanna make sure I get it right. Um, I can get to you as soon as I can. The things you don't say are calm down or I hear you making a lot of noise. You can say, I really regret that you're upset. You don't have to say, I'm sorry if it's not your fault, but you can say, I really regret this is that you had to wait two hours to be seen. And now we're asking you for $3,000, but this is your coverage. The main thing is privacy, respect. Let them say what they wanna say first because they're not gonna hear anything you say until they've had their say. So you get them in a private room, you let them speak, you say, thank you for telling me this. And then you say, I'm going to take care of it. That's another thing the front desk can say as well. I assure you we'll be taking care of this. If you give me your phone number, I'd be happy to call you back and confirm this, whatever you need to say, but it's more of an affirming than a challenging or, well, are you telling me you haven't gotten your medicine yet? Like you're challenging them. You don't want to do that. You know, Susan, when I was um, a medical receptionist, I, I used to tell patients that um, I'll make sure that the doctor calls you back or that I will have the doctor call you back. And for some reason, this customer service training that I went to has stuck with me for, I don't know how many, I won't, date myself too long, over 20 years. Um, and I'm so glad that you're talking about this because there are promises that we wanna make, right? And, and that we wanna encourage our staff to make. But I remember um, the, the, in, the customer service instructor, um, there, there was a phrase that I was using and I can't remember back then. And she said, how do you know the doctor's gonna call them back? I was like, well, because I told him, I asked them to. And she said, that's the key you let the patient know that you're asking the doctor to call you back, call them back, not the doctor will, because you can't control what action someone else is going to take, but you assure them that your action will be completed, whatever that action is. So I, I think you're, the, the advice that you're giving is so spot on. Um, again, it's something that I've taken with me throughout my whole career. Um, you know, I also want to 
I'm, I'm so looking forward to MGMA's conference that that that's coming up here soon. And we're so excited that you're going to be presenting. Taya and I are going to be Yay! there as well. We can't wait. We're looking forward to being in person. Um, we haven't, you know, <laughs> been able to kind of be in person and and network and catch up, you know, obviously safely. Um, but Susan, if you have a few moments to just tell our listeners about your your conference program, we're so excited to 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 see what you're gonna um, you know pour into everyone at MGMA's upcoming conference. Thank you. I will first let me compliment you because you're saying to a patient, "I will make sure that he calls, or I will do this, or I will do that." That means that you wanted to make sure it happens, and that's taking ownership of your role, exactly. and that's beautiful. So even if you had said you know, something like I'm giving him this message or giving her this message right now. So that way they know I'm important. She's taking care of it. And that's that. And that's what patients love to see every step of the way, the care. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So MGMA. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys too there um, Tuesday afternoon. And they have titled it something like, um, what are your cues affirming your emotional intelligence, intelligence, affirmation and balance or affirm your balance. And it's a workshop and I have lots of great questions and uh, it's all about communicating and breaking communication barriers and looking at your office in a whole different way with emotional intelligence. When you go back, you'll be able to handle some problems with a little more finesse and great positive outcomes, hopefully. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yay, we can't wait to see you there. Susan, yeah. thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so much fun. Even the, the pre-podcast <laughs> was a ton of fun. Yes. Um, as Taya alluded to, we, we're definitely looking forward to seeing you soon. Um, we're, we're also just going to thank everyone who is joining us today. We're looking forward to the next episode of Rev Dive. And everyone stay safe and see you next time. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much, Susan.